Hey, hey, everybody. It's Nick Kolakowski, and this is Noir on the Radio. My guest is Tess Makoveski, who is the author of Gravy Train, a noirish romp about a group of desperate characters who do terrible, terrible things for money. For example, there's Sandra, a barmaid who overhears a hot tip and uses that to win 80,000 pounds at a betting shop, only to lose it pretty much immediately to a professional mugger named Lenny, who then loses it to someone else. It's a fun chase over this bag of money, although probably much more fun for the reader than the characters, who in the great noir tradition do not have a good time at all. Welcome to the show, Tess. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be here. It's, it's great to hear your voice. Um, so the, this book is particularly fascinating for me because I used to actually live next to a betting parlor in Brooklyn. So the, the U.S. version of this as opposed to the U.K. And I, I was always sort of, you could sort of see all these grimy characters through the windows, you know, betting on horses and other games and things. I was always always a little bit too terrified to even consider going in. And so when I was when I was reading the book because of that history, the, the first thing that popped to mind to me for me was what kind of research did you do for this book? I mean, did you did you did you spend time making bets? Did you did, did you plunge deeply into the criminal underworld? How did it work? <laughs> if only. Um I actually I'm very risk averse, so mm. I don't tend to bet. I think I once put fifty P which is half of one pound sterling mm -hmm. on the Grand National Horse Race. And that has been the sum total of betting in my life. <laughs> so I know very little about it. Um, other than that, it happens. We get bombarded with betting adverts on telly at the moment. Um, so, you know, you pick up quite a bit that way. And I did also um, put out some feelers online. Um, people were very helpful in telling me how things actually worked. Hmm. And there was uh, one chap who did actually explain to me that these days, um, betting shops, as they're called over here, uh, don't store large amounts of cash on the premises. Oh. So I was able to write that into the book and it gave me a chance to get the people to have to go back to the betting shop and then, of course, there was longer to get the mugger set up. Mm -hmm. So that kind of thing is always really helpful. And uh, sadly, I forgot to keep a note of the name of the person who gave me that information. Uh, yeah, but whoever it was, thank you. I am very grateful. <laughs> do, you, do you do a lot of... Um... The, the one thing that struck me in plot, you have you have all these characters who are interacting. They're, they're, they're sort of a, a cascade almost where you, you have your characters set up. And then then once this bag of money enters the equation, everyone is stumbling over one another and they have their own plans running. And it gets it, it gets extraordinarily intricate. And I'm, I'm wondering, do you do you outline or are you more of what they call a seat of the pants writer in terms of how you just just organize and keep all of your threads going in terms of this amazing plot? Uh, believe it or not, I don't plot, oh. and it does get me into a mess sometimes. Um, the old thing of a beginning, a muddle, and an end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm very much a pantser. Um, I can't plot to save my life. I tried once, and it was as though I'd written the book. By the time I finished the plan, mm -hmm. I had no more creative energy left. So it's all threads. It's all in my head. Um and it can be quite tricky to keep a note of where everybody is at any given time. Um, in a previous book, I did actually have to get a pen and paper out because that was a question of people finding bodies in a strict, uh, uh, you know, chain. Yeah. Hmm. And um, 
I just I lost track of who'd found which body <laughs> so I did have to resort to pen and paper for that one Oof. for this one less so but I do edit I go back and check everything uh, numerous times and I will actually have uh, little post-it notes do you uh-huh. have those over in the states we do yeah yeah indeed. great and I actually stick those I still print everything out I'm very old-fashioned in that way and on the printout there are you know rafts of these little colored notes um, with little arrows and things as to where I know that I need to change things put extra stuff in mm-hmm. or even shift chapters around occasionally because the timeline has to work oh yeah it's um with, with i'm i'm working on the the sequel to a book right now and i'm 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 sort of in the same boat where he, he, for example last night I, I was wrestling with you know in the previous book like a character parked a car on the street and now they have to go back to the car by had forgotten that they had parked on a street and so you know and then all of a sudden you're digging through your old manuscript and I, I don't use post-it notes but I have um, this little notepad that that kind of accumulates tons of weird little random phrases and notches as I'm going through and sort of jotting <laughs> stuff down in a futile attempt to kind of keep them um, keep some semblance of order. So no, I, I totally understand in terms of, and I also understand, you know, I know, I know a lot of authors, as I'm sure you do as well, who are, who are extraordinarily intricate outliners and will not do anything without kind of the outline in place. But I, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. It really drains the enthusiasm somehow for me to do like a really intricate outline. Um, and I'm not quite sure why that is. It just, but, but I, I, I completely understand where you're coming from on that. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, as I said, tried it once and never again, really. Yeah. Um, the only time I take to pen and paper these days is to kind of, um, particularly when things aren't going quite right, um, you know, and, and I will need to actually handwrite a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason, that still seems to help the creative process sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of the time, it's just me and the keyboard, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the post-it notes afterwards. So it's the way it should be. Um, yeah. So it's it's I, I, since I finished the book, I was I was thinking quite a bit about it, um, and it, it's interesting that I f- I feel that this book sort of struck a perfect tone between madcap but also gritty in a way that. For a lot of authors, it's it's very difficult. Like I'm, for example, like I'm much more of a madcap kind of author, and it's very hard for me to be gritty. But then you read books that are sort of overwhelmingly gritty, where there's they, they might be quite good, but there's there's absolutely no humor whatsoever in them. And it it, it made me wonder, kind of what as a writer, what are your or who are your sort of big influences? Like what do you think are and this it, it might not even necessarily be other noir or crime writers, but what do you sort of to what do you ascribe your your tone like kind of what what influenced you i think um going back a long way um an author like leslie charteris with the early saint books was a huge influence um i mean a lot of those are quite dark in Mm -hmm. the content but the tone is very light-hearted mm. in many cases. And you've got that wonderful use of the language and the descriptions and, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And there's, there's so much fun. Um, so that's probably been quite a big influence. And then less so on the books, but certainly on TV. I've always enjoyed stuff 
and, and movies, um, things like Gross Point Blank, Midnight oh, yeah. Run, um, and the British one, Hot Fuzz. I don't know whether you've seen that. Oh yeah, no, I, I own Hot Fuzz. Um, I've seen it. It's, which it's, is more of it. a yeah, more of a straightforward comedy, but there are still gritty elements to it. There's quite a lot of hideous murders in it, and you it's know, funny. It's a um, great movie. Yeah, yeah, it's great fun. Um, so it's all that sort of thing where I just seem to kind of um, move towards the comedy noir uh-huh. rather than the full-scale, full-on, very dark stuff. Yeah. I enjoy that too, as you said, but you know, it, it's more the the comedy stuff that really floats my boat. Mm-hmm. And I think I have quite a strong sense of humour anyway. Uh-huh. And when I'm writing, it's not really a conscious effort hmm. to put humour into my noir. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. it just ends up like that. Huh. And my previous book was actually less humorous. That there is still some dark humour in there. Um, but that was quite a struggle for me to get it as dark as it was. That was Raise the Blade, right? Your previous It book? was, yes. Okay. Yeah. That was the one. Um, and this one is, uh, Gravy Train is more me writing purely for my own enjoyment, if you like, you know. Yeah, which is where it should absolutely start. I mean, if you're not, if you're not, I forget who said it, um... But if you're not enjoying the, you know, as as much as writers like to very publicly agonize over the process of writing and so on, if you're not fundamentally enjoying it in some way, or you're you're extracting some sort of pleasure from it, then the reader is not going to. And I I believe that theory. I think whoever said that was onto something in terms of you need to, maybe it was Stephen King, but you know, you need to sort of take have some sort of passion you're pouring into it otherwise it's just completely dead the um this the saint books yeah that's that's really fascinating because on on this side of the pond um for most crime writers i know everything sort of begins and ends with jack comes home with with ted lewis and i feel sometimes when i'm in conversation with people that in in terms of their uk crime writers the people that they read and so on Jack Comes Home is a great book, but, you know, people sort of need to sort of expand beyond that a bit just because, you know, every, everything just can't be Ted Lewis, you know? I mean, it's a great <laughs> well, book. Well, it's yeah. just as well everything isn't Ted Lewis because I'm ashamed to say I don't actually know who Ted Lewis is, so that wouldn't be a terribly good start. Um, but, yeah, I think um, – I don't know – I guess it's just different countries, isn't it? Different cultures. Um, And, you know, what's popular over here is not necessarily that well known over there and vice versa, really. Yeah. Um, Although, interestingly, the things that have influenced me have been as much from America as from the UK. Um, I mean, Charteris himself moved to, I think, Los Angeles and lived there for many years. Yep. And several of the movies that I mentioned, you know, they're they're sort of American-made movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think there's a strong element in in my stuff, certainly of of British culture, obviously. Yeah. Um, and you know, British TV from the sort of 70s and 80s probably creeps in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the old series like The Sweeney and The Professionals. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Kind of like our answer to Starsky and Hutch, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, you know, I think it's it's fascinating what turns up in, in what, really. Yeah. So in terms of um, bringing Birmingham, bringing Birmingham, yeah. Um, <laughs> the... It, it, so with your, do you ever walk the routes that your characters walk? And, and and when you're sort of describing the town and so on, do you tend to stick completely to realistic detail or do you insert sort of, do you fictionalize it a little bit to, to better fit the plot? Because when writers are basing their action in a real town, I find that that's sort of a division. Like some people, like they, they keep very strictly to what's actually there on the street in real life, but other people are, are fine with making up fictional streets or putting a fictional building there or, or kind of altering the landscape to fit their needs? Um, yeah, um, I think I tend to fictionalize to an extent. Mm -hmm. um, I know the city extremely well. Uh, I lived there for over 20 years. Um, I tried to work out how long it was recently and I lost count at somewhere <laughs> around about the 22 or 23. Yeah. Um, but um, not only that, but I don't actually drive. So I go everywhere by public transport or on foot. Mm -hmm. And it gives you the chance to really get to know a city rather than driving through it. Mm -hmm. You're actually walking around those streets and yes, I do walk the routes um, that I write about. Uh, they tend, to, my books tend to be set in areas that I know well anyway. Um, and that's not so that I can describe everything in kind of point blank detail. Um, but it's more that it gives me that familiarity that then I know what I can change. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that that, that makes a lot of sense. The... Um one of my books, I live, I live in New York City. Um, one of my books, I needed to blow up a building. And so I, I invented a completely massive fictional building in Queens to blow up because I was uncomfortable blowing up a real life building. It just, especially in this town. I mean, it's, 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 it's well, a little quite, bit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, um, so yeah, no, so sometimes, you know, kind of the, the, the plot necessitates that you, you fictionalize a little bit, but I mean, I can also, your, your perspective on it's also a really, really good one for people who are kind of wondering what to do with their, their own environment. The, um, it's also refreshing that, I mean, so much crime fiction that gets imported over to the U.S. is strictly London-based to the point where, you know, I, I think it's very hard for some U.S. aficionados of crime fiction and so on to really, you know, aside from Hot Fuzz and so on, to really get anything that's not completely London set. So I've, I found this was really fascinating as well, because I love views of the country outside of London as well. I mean, it's obviously there, there's so much going on outside of it that it's, it's great to, to read something where it's not, you know, set in the city of London. Sure, yes. Um, again, that's kind of lucky for me because um, I'm not, I'm from the north of England originally and London was somewhere we visited, you know, as a special treat every mm -hmm. few years. Mm -hmm. um, I know it's slightly better now, but probably not well enough to get that real authentic feel. Mm -hmm. Whereas Birmingham, I, as I said, I've lived there for over 20 years. I know the city, I know the people. Um, and it's just so much, it makes a writer's life so much easier mm -hmm. to be constantly worrying about, am I getting this right? Yeah. Because you know it's right, because you know it, you're familiar with it, you know? So it just really helps from that point of view to set something somewhere that I know very well. Yeah. So what are you what are you working on now? I mean, it's, it, it, it's interesting that, you know, as, as you said, 
you know, you, you've gone from gritty and this is more, you know, kind of light, but also gritty. So on, I mean, what's, what's, what's on your mind and, and what sort of what kind of tone are you, are you playing with in terms of your evolution as a writer? Um, the, the current work of in progress is actually quite similar in tone to gravy train. It's mm -hmm. another, mm -hmm. um, book that's set in Birmingham with a load of low lifes, um, slightly different this time. It's a particular gang who um, go on heists and everything's kind of crumbling around them. Everything goes wrong. And it's like an explanation of why that is and hopefully a bit of a surprise. Um, quite dark again in places, but with a lot of humour. Um, and, you know, as long as the ideas keep coming, that's what I'm most comfortable writing. Mm -hmm. Um, but having said that, I tend not to do series. I tend not to, to stick to formulas. So I have got other things in the pipeline that are sort of, um, there's one psychological, uh, drama that's very, very dark and I'm mm. still kind of plucking up courage to go back to that at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, if I can find people who, who like them enough to publish them, then fingers crossed, um, and definitely stick to Birmingham and the crime and, you know, because it's fun to write, really. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And the, the thing that intrigued me, what you mentioned earlier in terms of the crime, um, where you're asking people online for, for sort of assistance in that. I mean, is, is that purely like is, is that your your pure research vector is is sort of going online and asking people how to kind of whatever whatever you're researching at the moment? I mean, it's. You're the you're one of the first people who um, has sort of crowdsourced it, I guess is the term in that way <laughs> online, which is which is fascinating to me. I'm always fascinated in terms of how people are figuring out kind of what to how how they do it. Yeah, um, I think with me because my uh, books are very much people orientated, they they often don't need as much real basic research as say a police procedural might mm -hmm. where you've got to get every fact right every single form that they fill in etc uh mine is more kind of winging it because it's more looking at what people will do as a response to a certain given situation which is more about human nature mm -hmm. but having said that i do fact check and I do fact check online quite a lot, um, you know, the, the sort of the general Google things and look up articles, newspaper reports, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But sometimes if it's something that's really quite alien to me, I almost don't know enough about it to know what keywords to even type into Google. And at that, that's the point where, as you said, crowdsourcing a bit of uh, research can come in really handy. Because you can just kind of put out a, a, an APB and say, help, <laughs> I know nothing about betting, can somebody help, you know? And people are generally very, very supportive and very helpful. Good. I mean, one thing that I found was enormously helpful, because I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, a lot of the research that I do is, you know, through through the great Google machine. Um, but for, <laughs> for certain things, for example, like I did not grow up around firearms, and so... What I ended up doing is I, I have a couple of friends who did grow up around firearms and then joined the military and so on. So when I finish a book, I actually send it to them and they 
will pick it apart on that technical level in terms of, oh, you know, like, you know, this, this person wouldn't use this rifle, or if this happened, like, this wouldn't happen in this way, or this would smell like this, and so on. So I found that getting one or two technical readers um, proved helpful to a point, but for example, in, in, in one thing that I wrote at one point, I really wanted sort of the, the, the cinematic, for lack of a better word, aspect to a scene like I wanted the full movie-esque explosion and like the roiling gasoline fueled ball of fire and things like <laughs> that which apparently in the in the context of the book would never ever ever happen in real life and so I mean <laughs> you can do your research online you can have your technical writers and so on but I think it only you know at a certain point it is your imagination you know and you, you your readers you sort of have to assume are giving you license to give them a good time, you know, and to, to show yeah. them things, even if it's not, you know, what physics would behave like ordinarily or something like that. Sure. Yes. Um, I, I mean, I probably don't have as many explosions <laughs> or oh. firearms in my books. Again, I don't know much about them. Um, yeah, there are people I could go to for uh, factual help on that. Um, I'm part of a group called Crime and Pub uh, yeah, Crime and Publishment. Oh, that's a great name. In yeah, fantastic. And it started out life as a uh, writing course, mm -hmm. crime writing, up in the southwest of Scotland. Um, and I've been going on that course for about four or five years now and made a really good group of very supportive friends. And um, it just sort of by accident, really, but it covers a lot of different specializations. So there's nearly always somebody in that group that I could turn to. Um, but as you said, sometimes you don't always want the sort of X plus Y equals Z. You know, you want mm -hmm. something that is a bit more cinematic or a bit more dramatic. Um, but I also got, had some very good um, advice given to me once, which was that if you really don't know much about a subject, don't try writing it from the point of view of somebody who understands it very well. Hmm. Write it from the point of view of a character who doesn't understand it either. Oh. And that has really worked for me and has been very helpful. Is it, is it helpful for you? Because I, I'm just imagining that it allows you a little bit of leeway in terms of the descriptions and so on because if the character doesn't yeah. understand what they're saying. Yeah, that makes all this. Wow, I didn't yeah. talk about that. That, yeah. makes, that makes a lot of Particularly, sense. Particularly, again, police procedural because, you know, I've never worked for the police. I've never been in trouble with the police, mm -hmm. honest. Um, so I don't know how things work, you know, um, and rather than me try to write from the point of view of some detective who would already know all about the forms and the procedures, you know, um, this chap suggested try writing about it from the point of view of the criminal who's spending his first night in a cell and wondering when his breakfast is coming along. Uh, that's an excellent idea. And I imagine it yeah. also, um, it helps probably, I imagine, because then the, the 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 reader is also i mean there's just sort of this element of exploration or discovery as well which which yeah always helps. wow oh that's great i'll have to i'll have to yeah. do that that's 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 amazing advice yes oh. that, that's probably one of the best pieces of advice i've ever been given on on a sort of crime writing point of view um and you know and i find it very very helpful hmm. um interesting the so um, yes have have writing groups helped you a lot, or you have have you participated in many of them? Because I mean, one of the things that I find when I talk to a lot of writers is some are 
very self-isolated. They don't really see the value in it. Whereas other people, they they join writing groups, especially crime fiction writing groups, and like it's sort of their I don't want to use the word crutch, but like it's sort of the thing that gets them through. Like without that motivation and like that group dynamic, like they they wouldn't have gone nearly as far as they had gotten. Yeah, um, it's something that I've always found very helpful. Um, I do tend to lack confidence in my writing um, and probably in the past with good reason because, you know, you're learning a trade um, and not always the best at everything. Um, I mean, I joined my first writing group uh, best part of 20 years ago and I've sort of been members of about three or four since. Um, some better than others. Um, some were very much sort of, here's an idea, now sit down and write six lines about it, which perhaps was less what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, one of the more recent ones up um, in my current location um, was very much a critiquing group, and that was excellent. I learned a huge amount from them. Yeah. And then the crime and publishment thing, um, it, it's like a two-prong thing because um, you get the annual writing course, which mm-hmm. always has some great stuff in it. Um, and then it's been this fantastic group of friends as well. Yeah. And I think friendship is is very important for writers because, as you said, it can be very isolating um, you know, you're sort of sitting there crouched over a keyboard for nine hours a day and you don't necessarily get out and socialize very much. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, it's lovely to have the chance to meet other people with the same kind of problems and the same kind of challenges, you know, that you can chat things over with. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 I've, I've always found it really useful and it's, it's but I've also run into, um, People who are, I, I, I don't know if they feel that being in the bubble, this kind of isolated bubble is helpful, but I, I, I'm, I'm definitely in the, in the, the same, the same, the same grouping as you with, with regard to groups. So it's, um, <laughs> so it's, is, um, so in terms of just trying to go through my notes here really quickly, <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the, the book overall was, was wonderful in terms of how it interwove the, the, the plot threads and things like that. I was accidentally about to ask you again about the whole outlining thing and realized that we had, we, had, we had already covered that pretty extensively in terms of the whole fly-by-the-pants thing. The, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, so, so thank you. I thought this, this discussion is fascinating, and I think that um, Gravy Train is a great book. I think anybody looking for, I'm not going to say quintessential, but everybody looking for kind of a very classic um, romp as, as, as you call it, I think would be, be well pleased to read it. Um, so yeah, no, I, 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 thank you for the interview. Well, thank you, Nick. It's been uh, great fun and, uh, very interesting. And, um, I'm really pleased that you enjoyed the book so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm.